What the hell is the name of this thing? Is this Wayne's World? The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, clown number one. Barry Horn. He tried to get me in mid-chew. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the latest Ballsy podcast. Uh, where today we're going to talk college basketball with Mr. College Basketball himself, Chuck Carlton. But before we say hello to Chuck, I just want to tell you that we had some uh, maybe misleading promo coming in. Evan Grant not here. Kevin Sherrington not here. They're off uh, in Surprise, Arizona, where they're doing a Ballsy baseball podcast, Rangers podcast. But let's welcome in now the great, Chuck Carlton. Chuck, how are you? Good. You're you're kind of like uh, Al Haig after Reagan got shot, right? You're in charge now. That's offensive. No, that's not. Offensive. I, I'm, I'm, yes, you're darn right. I'm in charge. So they even, yeah, he went to the podium and said he's in charge. There's even a TV movie about it. With I, I, I I know, but I haven't declared that I'm in charge. I wanted to be I wanted to be a little more subtle. You want a stealth coup here? Yes, yeah, yeah, a, a stealth coup. Uh, I've been watching House of Cards, and and that's the way uh, that's the way I'd like to do it. But I'd like to start talking uh, in a in a college basketball podcast. Talk about the men's Final Four, and since they're just up the road in Norman, let's start talking about Oklahoma. And my first question to you is going to be this: When Lon Kruger was hired in 2012 to replace uh, Jeff Capel, did you think it was? Did anybody think it was a great hire? And what what are people saying now? It, it, people thought it was a good hire, a solid hire, but nobody was saying great hire. I mean, Lon Kruger is the sort of guy who gets you to NCAA tournaments, but not necessarily to Final Fours. And and he's not. But he's done I, it I now. Even, yeah, but I think even Lon would admit he's not exactly a charismatic guy. No. He doesn't have the reputation for being like a big-time recruiter. I mean, he gets solid guys. You know, he's a good talent evaluator, but he's not landing McDonald's All-Americans. <laughs> one thing to remember, uh, by one rating service, Buddy Heald was the 20th-ranked shooting guard in the country in that uh, recruiting class. So what, is, what, what should that tell us about recruiting services? That they don't get down to, uh, <laughs> um, to the Bahamas a whole lot, for crying out loud. So uh, um, and they don't factor into it how much a player can improve over four years by locking himself in a gym and having that kind of work ethic. But, yeah, give, give Joe Castiglione credit for bringing along. I mean, and, and remember, it was a mess after Capel. You had the NCAA nosing around. Um, you know, people remember the Blake Griffin era. They don't remember, like, you know, Willie Warren and all the stuff that went on uh, after that. So, and so but, but you, kind of a mess. You brought up the NCAA. We have an NCAA – uh, infractions Final Four, don't we? Oh, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, uh, you know you might as well have the infractions committee referee it. And and if you're SMU, you're going. Oh, wait, uh, Syracuse vacated last year. You know, put themselves on self-imposed probation so that they could play this year. And the North Carolina thing has been, you know, hanging around for like. Three or four years. I mean, when it came to SMU, the NCAA was Judge Roy B. I mean, it was like, you know, instantaneous just, justice hit the gavel, here's your penalty. Uh, and, and somehow, you know, North Carolina has managed to drag its feet to the point where they could be cutting down the nets here in April. And then in June, oh, by the way, we're finally going to, you know, 
hit you up for uh, for violations going back to 1993. And, and, and the, let's let's just the North Carolina violations are heavy duty violations compared to what happened at SMU, correct? Yeah, SMU was what what was it? One one member of the staff doing a. Uh, a, a paper for a kid and some other allegations, but limited to one, as opposed to wholesale, you know, academic fraud in like, um, you know, in a department in a class where you know tons of athletes took it, and 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 the prevailing opinion is that North Carolina is going to skate. I mean that this that if anybody gets hit out of this, it'll be the women's program. North Carolina the men's program. North Carolina is too big to fail. Is is that it? The North Carolina men's program oh, too big exactly. to fail. Uh, and, and you know the networks love having you know North Carolina in the tournament, just like they love having Syracuse. I mean, oh, they, they well, love you... Syracuse. And, and let me just say this: I don't care what anybody says. What is Syracuse's record in its last ten games? Do you know? I think I looked it up, and I think it's five and five. Is that possible? Yes. Yeah. They, they, they just went down the you know down the tubes at the end of the year, but somehow they're still ten seed in the tournament and. Um, it used to be the the committee actually looked at how you finished, and then they did away with that. But um, it's and, and who's playing the late game? You know, the the game where they want all the the eyes on the, on TV, the oh, one well. in prime time. Oh, because yeah. because it's Syracuse, North Carolina. Because New York City is a Syracuse home base. Uh, th- there's no question about that. And, and to me, I know it's an ACC uh, semifinal, but. But Syracuse, come on, Syracuse is a Big East team. Villanova is a, a Big East team. It's really too, I think it's too Big East team, but I'm just showing my age. But here's something interesting. I'm, I'm just looking at the bracket I put together before the tournament uh, began. And you know what? I had North Carolina, Syracuse, Oklahoma, and Villanova in the Final Four. Did you? Oh, that, that's amazing. That's what, you're going to be collecting some big bucks from that, I imagine. Uh, so. Unfortunately, I think I had none of those four teams. Did you have any of them? I, I, I think I may have had North Carolina. I may know. I may have had Oklahoma. But yeah, and I, I think you did. I, I was on the A&M bad wagon. But give, give the Sooners credit here. I mean, they're playing. I mean, people people kind of liked, you know, the um, the talent and the size of A&M, and they definitely liked the way Oregon was playing. And Oklahoma, you know, when, when they're shooting 40% plus on three-pointers, that's a hard team to beat, yeah. and that's what they're doing now in the tournament. They're playing like they did in December and January. And at the same time, give Villanova credit for taking care of Kansas, although that was a bogus call on Graham's fifth foul where he died for a loose about ball. That. I thought it was a good call myself. No, no. Possession is nine-tenths of the law, both in, you know, and in basketball as well, and he had the ball. You can't. It was a ticky-tack call. And one you don't make at that time, especially on the key players for foul. Well, since you brought up Ticky Tack, I'd like to bring up uh, Coach K, and uh, and his dealings with Dylan Brooks. Uh, I thought that was pretty Ticky Tack. Uh, your thoughts? Ticky Tack how? Ticky Tack in that first he lost. He he at, at game's over. You lost. You don't need to be lecturing a kid on the other team for how he played. He didn't try to trip anybody. He didn't try to hurt anybody. He took a shot with the clock running out. That's Oregon's Dylan Brooks in uh, Oregon's big win over Duke. And then Coach K felt the need to lecture him and then lie about him. I think that's ticky-tack. You think it's bigger? No, no. I, I Yeah, I, I think it is. I think 
and the the key thing that bugged the heck out of me was Mark Emmer from the NCAA three days after the fact praising Shashevsky for his apology. The only reason he apologized is because they CBS had the audio tape. He was denying it up until then. You know, I never said anything to him. Oh, that's not true what the kid said. And then it's like, he, oh, we have you on tape. He, well, I apologize. He he, he he needs to I don't. Has he apologized to Dylan Brooks? He should. No. I, I I don't know. Maybe he's called him. He should call him. He should offer an apology here. There's there's no question about that. But like you know, we we as, should apologize to Dana Altman. Yeah, t- the coach. Yeah, Dana Altman's authority as coach of Oregon. If anybody should be calling him out for doing that at the end of the game, it's it's Dana Altman. Remember when um, uh, you had the Kansas player dunk in a similar situation yep. at the end of the game against defense and uh, and, and Bill Self. You know, on his post-game radio show, left no doubt about how he felt about that. You know, calling it a bleep move. Well, Dane Altman told Dylan Brooks to shoot. That's what that's what we've learned. And but yeah, you're running it down. The game's decided. It's it's a long shot. Who knows if it goes in? It doesn't affect even. uh, Fran Fraschilla, who we both know from ESPN, tweeted out that yeah, when he was coaching, he didn't care what. The other team did at the end of the game. He was only focused on what his team sure. did at the game, even if it was decided, because that was the one thing he could control. Well, you know what Coach Shashevsky is? He's like North Carolina. He's too big to fail. He's too big to be criticized in in the college basketball world. Oh, oh he, he's a, he's this guy. He's remember he he got his his full learning under Bob Knight. He's Bob Knight with a whole lot better PR and a, a little better self control, but occasionally he's peer under the veneer and you see some things that kind of make you wince a little bit let's let let, let's let's transition we're talking about former bob knight assistants that transitions me to dave bliss who coached at oklahoma which has nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about but then uh let's talk about oklahoma how good is this oklahoma team can they win the national championship and this year you can't rule anybody out i mean do i think they're a great matchup against Carolina's size inside and athleticism, probably not. But I'm not sure Carolina. Hey, I've seen Ray Williams lose to Jim Beheim before. You know, this is um, not a cinch against Syracuse, and I and this is the same Carolina team that lost at Texas for for crying out loud. People forget that early in the season. Um, I mean, I mean, Villanova's kind of a wild card because people still, I think, don't know quite how good they are. But when Oklahoma plays their best because of the style they play, they're they're kind of a Golden State Warriors team. I'm not saying they're that good. I'm not saying the styles perfectly line up. They don't push the ball as much. But the fact that they get the threes in transition, or you can play pretty good defense, and the next thing you know, uh, Buddy Heald is doing a step-back, fadeaway, baseline three-pointer that finds the mark. He makes it look so easy when I I watch. He really makes it look effortless. Yeah, and he's got a quick release. And when you get Cousins and Woodard played, you know, Spangler's, you know, doing his basic blue-collar blue thing, contributing more. Latin, you know, is a is a player. They're not terribly deep. But, you know, people didn't think they'd get that far. Are they know, They flamed out in the Sweet 16 last year. I mean, this is, this is a – and don't discount the fact that there's a ton of senior experience here, a ton of guys who started 100-plus games, which you rarely see now – on a team that makes it to the Final Four when you have the ones one and done. So you're saying Oklahoma could win, can win the national championship? Yeah, sure they can. I mean, if, if 
Buddy's being Buddy, and the other guys are knocking down some shots. I mean, it's not a fluke, okay, for for a long stretch. And I remember covering a Baylor-Oklahoma game in, in late January. At that time, Oklahoma was shooting 45% from the field on three-pointers during the season. It was an... And that, and that's what they're kind of doing in the tournament now. They they pick that up in the Big Twelve, with the exception of the West Virginia game. They're shooting that way now in the tournament. I mean, you know, that's you know, that's hard to defense when you have to start by defensing the three point arc first. I'm in, glad in situation. I'm glad you brought up the North Carolina loss to Texas because that that reminds me something a little thing I put together here that uh, Syracuse lost to St. John's, correct? St. Yes. John's lost to one of my favorite schools in San Antonio. Not my favorite, but one of them, Incarnate Word. And Incarnate Word lost to another of my favorite San Antonio schools, Our Lady of the Lake. So this is a team that when whiny, and he is whiny, Jim Beheim says, ha, we deserve to be here. We, uh, you know, he, he's denigrating the people who say they, they and, and he will do that this later this week, people who say that Syracuse shouldn't have been there. Um, I just want everybody to keep that in mind. Oh, he's going to be unrepentant. I mean, it's going to be almost kind of both cringeworthy and and uh, must see press conferences there between him and and Roy Dad Gummit Williams for crying out loud, both trying to sound sanctimonious. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there there's not going to be a whole lot of south by side of Lon Kruger and. And I don't know if Jay Wright will exactly make it, but yeah, the the Bayheim Williams thing is could be real interesting now. Jay, Jay Wright is a rock star personality compared to, to the other three, isn't he? Oh yeah, and I mean, you know, dresses well, looks sharp, but you know what? Not that long ago, he was kind of on the on the Jamie Dixon, Rick Barnes career path. It's, what have you done for me lately, business? Well, that remi- well, now he's got now he's got them back into a Final Four. People were saying that. Best days were behind them. They weren't getting the players again. That you know, I, again, any coach with with a few exceptions who stays more than ten years, all of a sudden the people start seeing the flaws a lot more than they start remembering all the good things. If 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 they don't win, if they're not if they're not if, if, they're, if they're not, if they're not winning, winning big on a consistent, it's not enough to make the tournament anymore. Once you've already taken teams to Sweet Sixteens and Final Four. Well, because. Let's face it. How many teams are in the tournament now? It's it's, it's ridiculous. Sixty. It's, it's sixty-eight. Sixty-eight. It's, it's like making making the tournament now, and, and and the math isn't quite analogous. But making the tournament is a little like making a bowl game. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, positively, lutely. But let let's shift for a second to a coach who's been there, uh, who's been on the job for a lot a lot longer than ten years, and and this is near and dear to your heart and my heart. Uh, women's basketball. Let's talk two coaches who've been there. One, Gino at, at UConn, and he, he's gotten himself into a little. Uh, uh, he's he's actually brought a lot of publicity to the women's game this week. What did what did what did he say? And what what did he do? Well, now, Dan Shaughnessy, who's uh, who's a columnist writer at Boston Globe, tweeted out basically that um, UConn was bad for women's basketball just by winning games. You know, but basically, why watch? And you know. Citing the uh, the ninety eight thirty eight win over Mississippi State, which is a credible SEC team, you know, fifth seed, coached by former Texas A and M assistant, whose specialty is defense. defense, right? Yes, he was he was Gary Blair's defensive coordinator, 
and it's 61 to 12 at halftime. Let, let's face it, if that had occurred in our area, Barry, in a high school game, the AD would have had to apologize the next day for bullying. But, this, but this is in the NCAA tournament, and I've got to say this. I, maybe I like. Maybe it says something about my personality. I like watching UConn win, win big, because I'm always interested to see how big they will win by. Is that and, and is that bad? Of it. Yeah, I mean the line to the, they're playing Texas, and I know we're going to get to it, but they're they're playing a very good Texas team that only has four losses, three of those to Baylor, uh, has has size, has some good guards from the from the Metroplex, and the line on that game in Vegas, and you can bet on women's basketball at this stage in the tournament is thirty one points. Thirty one points in, in a in game to go final. to the Final Four. Yes. What if what if uh, so, what if UConn could only play four players? Could they win the game? Four pl- start on the court at a time. Could they win the game? Uh, Jefferson, Stewart, Samuelson, Tuck. Yes. And that's Mariah Jefferson, who uh, played her high school basketball here in Dallas. Um, she's a, a heck of a player. And uh, every every time I see her playing for UConn, I kind of cry a little bit. I wish she had uh, kept her talents down here. Oh, just a re- yeah, remarkable. I mean, the... The the um, I think the Lieberman Award winner is the top point guard in the country. Just you know the engine that makes them go. I mean, people talk about Brianna Stewart being a Tarasi level player at, at at UConn, and that's legit too. But all these people would be like you know um, all American level had they gotten any place else. You know, I mean, not that they aren't here, but even the role players at UConn were McDonald's all American. Okay, that, that the the. the People off the bench are just waiting their turn to step in and do that. This, this is uh, a remarkable situation. But, yeah, getting back to Gino, he did say the comparison he used is people, did people say Tiger Woods was bad for men's golf when he was winning the you know, U.S. Open by 15 shots at Pebble Beach or whatever it was. And, uh, Tiger was not no. bad for, for, for men's golf. UConn is not bad for women's basketball. And I don't think Baylor, which is not quite at the level UConn is, is a pretty darn good team. Uh, we're, it's here Monday morning. We're, it's before the Baylor Oregon State game. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Baylor is gonna win the game. Your thoughts? I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think Baylor is the best matchup there. I don't think. Um, I mean, don't discount Oregon State. Yeah, they're they're kind of playing with house money. They've never been this far in program history for crying out loud. When uh, Scott Ruick, the head coach, came on board, he had to do public tryouts six years ago there, because they didn't have enough players to fill out a roster. Uh, you know, and they're a nice team. And the Pac-12 has shown themselves to be a really good women's conference. Remember, you had Washington uh, playing Stanford in one regional final. I mean, they've got three teams in the Elite Eight. So, UC- UCLA, yeah, UCLA played uh, played well, too, right? Yeah, Stanford. UCLA went, got to the Sweet 16, gave uh, Texas everything it wanted. I mean, the, the, this you know, because they're out west and it's women's basketball, people don't pay attention. This is a very credible team. Uh, I, I just think that Baylor will dictate the tempo, and that will be Baylor finally gets over the hump after two elite eight losses. It's been well documented. The eight is enough, eight is not enough bracelets that all the players had to wear since summer, as a reminder of their coming up short. But uh, interesting that you know me and a few other writers asked. Mulkey about the UConn question yesterday, and, and she says, as somebody who played at Louisiana Tech, that was a women's basketball dynasty back in the you know the early '80s. She's saying, "Hey, 
she, you know, don't, you know, don't rip on excellence. That, you know, that's the result of good coaching and good players. So give them their due on this. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and who knows? I mean, with, with Lauren Cox, the number one player in the nation going in there, Baylor only loses three seniors, only one senior starter. I mean, Baylor may be in a situation where they challenge UConn. And, and, who's, and UConn is lo- losing uh, M- Mariah Jefferson, correct? And, and, and Stewart and, and Tuck, three starters. But, but, but trust me, they'll, they'll be able to replace them. Let, if we're not going to talk about excellence, let's talk about the men's Final Four. Let's get back to yes. that. Um, break down the games for me and who's going to win both games, each game. I, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. I mean, uh, it's it's Villanova's defense. You know, they show they can win a gritty game here. Can they now, if they have to? I mean, they've been shooting the lights out, uh, you know, before getting to the Final Four. I mean, they have some shooters, too. But I don't even think Villanova wants to get into that kind of shootout, up-and-down mentality with Oklahoma. I think they want a game in in, in the 60s. They don't want a game in the 70s and 80s. And, and, and I still maintain... The barometer on Oklahoma is less Buddy Heal because Buddy's going to get his points than than the three point shooting percentage. If they're shooting over forty percent, they're going to win ninety percent of the time. If they're down, you know, thirty percent and below, you know, like a you know, you know, six of six of twenty five, you know, which they've done, then yeah, they're going to struggle because they don't get the inside scoring. And, and, and the other question is, going down to Houston, going down. To a dome, how does that affect shooters? Shooting, yeah. Exactly, because the 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 historic basis on that is that deep shooting teams struggle in the domes, at least in their first game out. So that's going to be. I mean, people say, ah, "Don't no, it's a far different shooting background, sure. everything, perception, all this kind of stuff." So. Yeah, Oklahoma can win, but if, do you like? if they're off, that opens the door to, to Villanova. You like Villanova, and in, and in the other, I, I think you're wrong there. I'm going to go with Oklahoma, but one of us will be right. Who do you like in the other game? Uh, I mean, Syracuse has had a charmed life when you when you look at what's occurred in the tournament. I mean, meanwhile, North Carolina has done everything that a number one seed could do, and and again, it's it's part of it is that Marcus Page, who was supposedly you know uh, he was. Supposed to be what Buddy Heald is, a preseason player of the year candidate, a senior guard, leadership, could stroke the three-pointer, and he struggled for a long stretch in the season. Now he's playing like that guy again, and he's the guy who gets him off and running. Bryce Johnson is a force inside. Yeah, um, I mean, you, I just don't see, you know, uh, North Carolina giving the game away like, like Virginia essentially did, where you get really tentative, haven't been there before, uh, Roy Williams has his faults as a coach, but they've seen the the Syracuse zone enough times now. They understand it. Um, I, I think yes. Can Syracuse keep it close for maybe the eight minute timeout, even the four minute timeout? Yeah, but at the end, Carolina wins. And so you have Villanova and Carolina in the championship game. Who wins? Carolina, and then they go on. Uh, then their women's team goes on serious probation in three months. And, Car- and the men's team skates. The men's team uh, risk meets slap. Yes. Um, wow. Oh, football may may lose a couple scholarships. Football. But yeah, football uh, because nobody really cares about that at Carolina. Uh, 
women's basketball, uh, Sylvia Hatchell gets sent to an early retirement. They didn't make the tournament anyway. Yeah, and, and Roy. I mean, at most, what Roy gets a two-game suspension. You know, but uh, and, and will he be will he be allowed to pick the two games that he that he gets the suspension on? Yeah, I think it's against UNC Asheville and North Carolina A and T. I, I think those will be the games that he sits out for next year. Yeah, it certainly won't be a tournament in the Bahamas or Hawaii. I can tell you that much. Uh, it's I, 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 again the you know for for Mark Emmert, it's kind of hard to call this one shining moment when you've got Syracuse and, and Carolina playing, proving that you know. Remember when Bob Bowlesby said at Big Twelve football. Media days of cheating pays. It does. Except at SMU. Except at SMU. The sheriff uh, comes down hard uh, when things go wrong at SMU. Yeah, uh, otherwise it's like Rick's Casino in Casablanca. You know, shocked, shocked uh, okay. that you have gambling going on here. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I need a one word answer to this question. It's a pivotal question. Do you miss Evan Grant in this podcast? Yes or no? No. Okay. And do you miss Kevin Sherrington? Yes or no? No. no. Okay, so you and I have now you have now taken over with Alexander Haig on on the Ballsy podcast. So looking ahead for the Big Twelve next year, because that's that's what we like to do. Um, how how, do, how does this shape up for next year? You know, I mean, Kansas loses a lot, but at the same time, okay. They've won 12 straight. They're going to find a way to win 13 straight. And and Bob Huggins had the best explanation why. They never lose at home. Everybody else in the Big 12 will lose at least one game at home, maybe two. Kansas starts off by going 9-0 and at Allen Fieldhouse. They just don't get beat there. So that gives them, like, essentially a two-game lead on all the other contenders. You know, I think Oklahoma, losing all these seniors, takes a step back. Um, I mean, what Baylor about? will be decent in the regular season. I, I think Tech has a chance to be among the top three or four teams with that nucleus of sophomores that uh, that Tubby Smith has, including and, Zach Smith. And, I think they have some 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 good people out there. I I think also Iowa State. This could be a transition. What about year Texas? In the Big what about Texas? I'm getting to Texas. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, if if Shaka Smart lands Jared Allen, who's the you know, big, you know, six nine power forward out of uh, out of Austin to go with three other top one hundred recruits, including uh, Andrew Jones, the brother of Baylor guard Alexis Jones of Earthy MacArthur, who's maybe the best combo guard in the country. All of a sudden, you see Shaka Smart getting his athletes, his style in place at Texas. But yeah. You know, as good as the Big 12 was this year, yeah, there's going to be a whole lot of question marks that you haven't seen the last couple of years that will be there on key programs like like Oklahoma, like Iowa State. Um, so those, and don't forget West Virginia, which I think in the regular season will be a, a a very good team again, but problematic in the NCAA. What about the Texas team in the SEC? A and M. Yeah, I, I like I like A and M a lot. I, you know, I mean. Um, I mean, part of it was I, I'm I'm curious to see how Billy Kennedy continues to recruit because I, he had struggled early on recruiting. Then he had the big recruiting hall, uh, and but now Rick Stansberry, who was a key part of that recruiting. How big a loss is that? That's a significant loss. You 
yeah, don't underestimate you know the effect of having a guy who knows bunches of people in AAU, has connections, can deliver players, and that's what Rick Sansbury did. That's been his entire time, going back to you know his time at Mississippi State. I mean, he was assistant coach on that Final Four team with Van Pierre at Michigan State back in the nineties. Uh, so, yeah, you know, whether it's been a downstep, uh, that's or not, a, uh, that, that's not Michigan State, is it? It's Mississippi State, correct? Mississippi State. I'm sorry, Mississippi State with Eric Dampier, the former Mavericks center, kind of, sorta. Uh, <laughs> he's one of the but, he's one of the greatest Mavericks centers of all time. Come on. Okay, okay, okay. He may rank up there with Benoit Benjamin as the least aggressive big man in NBA history. <laughs> but he's still one of the greatest Mavericks centers of all time. Take it from me. That, it's not. It's not a stellar list. Okay. I, I, again, you go Tyson Chandler and James Donaldson, and that's it. That's, the end, that's it. Did you, yeah, you didn't okay. like Sean Bradley? You know, Sean Bradley's on your top five list, isn't he? <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, the you know, Sean Bradley killed their use of the plus-minus stats. You know, when Cuban was trying to use plus-minus like they do in hockey to chart it, and then they all found out that Sean Bradley was, like, one of the best guys on the team in plus-minus, so they realized that they had no a, real value. A, yeah. bo- a bogus a bogus stat. But, so, I don't know if you saw it. It was a, very, a seminal, terrific piece in the Dallas Morning News on Sunday about the the – it's been 50 years since a team from the state of Texas has, has won a national championship. 50 years in our lifetime, Chuck Carlton, will we see in our time working at the Dallas Morning News, will we see a Texas team win a national championship? Uh, since you mentioned working at the Dallas Morning News, uh, or in our lifetime, <laughs> which which I'm not sure. Uh, which, which, in, my, in my case, you you have better odds on that too. Oh, uh, stop it. Yes, uh, I I would say, yeah that. There's a chance. The question is, who's going to do it? And when you look at it, not that many, even in a championship game type situation, you know, where they're pushing for it. You know, you've got, yes, the heyday of five, five slime and jamma. And they, yes, Guy Lewis should have won at least one and, and maybe two championships. I don't know. I don't know. I think the one against 1983 against North Carolina State, he should have won. That was, a good no. George, that was a good Georgetown team they played in 84. And in 82, they lost to Michael Jordan. Uh, I agree, but the '83 game, there was come on, there was no business North Carolina State had beating them. No. Uh, they had a couple chances. To, I mean, watch that semifinal game. I, I was Houston there in Louisville, which was as I mean, that was a next level game. You know, you have what most you know, like ten plus dunks in the second half. You oh, know, Benny yeah. Andrews, the guy off the bench for Houston, going off and doing reverse jams on. You know, it was like some sort of Hollywood vision of what a college game was going to be. Clyde Drexler did a double pump in the lane that I remember in that game. I mean, yeah, it was it was that 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 Houston team had far more talent than a kind of a gritty North Carolina team that just you know Lorenzo Charles right place right time on an air ball. Well, you so, know, you, uh, you have to uh, let's say this: you have to have luck to win a national championship. Let's let's not discount luck. Well, not the, yeah, the luck on North Carolina will be that. Hey, the committee on infractions didn't get to them on time. Well, you're big, you are so big on that. Why leave leave poor Roy Williams alone? Why won't you? <laughs> Dad, gummit. I mean, he cut his finger. You know, cut it down the net. You know, he had a bandage on it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I mean, actually, Carolina has just dominated here. 
there's a whole lot of luck with Carolina. You yeah. know, they've they've gone out there on a tournament where anything can happen and remo- and kind of removes all doubts and getting to the final. Four, uh, before is- before we wrap up, this this bothers me, and I, I wonder if it bothers you. Should they reseed going into the final four? I hate when yeah. teams when teams play each other that have played each other twice in the regular season in the yeah, semifinal. But- got the quote sanctity of the bracket and the selection committee they'll never do it even though it makes perfect sense to do it uh it's kind of like it's almost like the mentality of like like the like a high school state tournament well we've got the bracket and this is the teams we set so we live with it and as opposed to wait we've got this kind of horribly wrong now now this year quite honestly if you're reseeding it it's going to look exactly the same correct because Carolina would be the number one seed. Syracuse would be four in there. Right. Doesn't matter who's two and three uh, between Oklahoma and Villanova, both number two seeds. So, yeah, it, it worked out this year. But, yeah, there are times where you clearly have, you know, and they're trying to say, well, if you if you have a clear thing, the women's tournament, for example. Exactly. You're going to have you know, Washington and Syracuse, a four and a seven playing on one side, and you can conceivably have, well, you will have UConn, number one seed, playing either Baylor, a number one seed, or UConn, a two seed. Uh, UConn will play either Baylor or Oregon State. Oh, UConn, I'm sorry, uh, Oregon State. I'm sorry, it'll be Baylor, Oregon State versus UConn. One one seed or two seed, and that's a de facto championship. I mean, if, if you believe there's any chance of UConn losing, then that's the only game that UConn even remotely has a chance to lose in the women's tournament. So, yeah, why not reseed it for suspense? And if Baylor wins, have number one seed Baylor go on to the other side. You know, have UConn play Washington, Baylor play Syracuse. Can, and that way at least you can get a one-versus-one one matchup in the finals. Can Baylor – Evan Grant would ask this question if he was here. Could Can Baylor – could Baylor beat UConn? I, and, and I want to remind you, Kim Mulkey is a loyal listener – to this podcast, uh, let's put it this way: I I thought the uh, 2013 team that Mulkey had with Griner's senior year, with a ton of other seniors, with an All-American point guard in Odyssey Sims, uh, that was as good as almost as good as any of the UConn teams we, we we had seen. And Louisville played the game of their its lives and is throwing in 30-footer three-pointers and spin moves in the lane and stuff you don't see women's teams do to to beat that Baylor team. So if that can happen, yeah. Baylor, uh, are, am I saying there's a chance? Yeah, there's a chance. Will it's it happen? a very big one. Will it happen? It could, it, 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 it could happen, but I would say that it would be UConn losing, even to Baylor. UConn losing in this tournament would as, be as big an upset as the Soviet hockey team losing in 1980. Well, and, and, and Houston losing in 1983 to North Carolina State. Uh, so we've, we've brought it full circle. It's, we're, we're way into this. I just want to tell you that in addition to this great podcast that we've had this week, we also had Ed Werder talking about the Cowboys from ESPN, and he's terrific. And if you have to listen to the Rangers podcast this week, and I suggest you do, Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, podcasting from Surprise, Arizona. We bring you ballsy podcasts in college basketball, Cowboys, Rangers, and we just want to thank Chuck Carlton for taking time out of his busy day 
to joining us here today. Thank you, Chuck. Hey, hey as always, uh, glad to be with you. Did that, does that sound sincere? Uh, glad to be I with you're glad to be with me, and you're you're even gladder or more glad the other two guys are out of town. <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. Take care. Okay, this is Al Haig signing off. Ballsy podcast on college basketball with Chuck Carl. <laughs>